Hello and welcome to No BS Women's Health, the podcast giving a big voice to the things women whisper about. I'm Chloe Bunter, Pilates teacher trainer and creator of the Pilates Instructor Hub. My mission is to help instructors move and teach fearlessly. And I'm Kate Spina, nutritionist, award-winning chef, eating disorder survivor, helping you feel more confident about what you eat. Together, we're delivering the truth bombs you need to feel more empowered about your health, physical, emotional, and mental. If you find this episode helpful, we'd love you to leave us a review, subscribe, and share with other women in your life. Hello, welcome to episode one of our brand new podcast. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about diet culture, rising above the BS. I hate diet culture, Chloe, so I'm so excited about it. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) Yeah, and because, because this is a topic I get very passionate about, um, there is a trigger warning. Um, there, there may be the mention of eating disorders and there will most probably be some swear words. Most probably slash definitely. Yeah. I think by the, by the time you and I get kind of like warmed up and into this topic, it's probably inevitable. Probably inevitable. It's inevitable. So yeah. um, welcome. I am so thrilled uh, to be doing this with you, Kate, recording this, getting this out into the world. Um, I feel like it's been a long time coming and and we're here. And, and as this is our first episode, Kate, I'd love us to – let's have a little chat to our audience um, who may not know us uh, why we're doing this, what we're all about. So I would love to for you to share that, Kate, first. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm now a nutritionist, but my my little pathway to doing the work I do now is probably not the usual one that most people take. And um, it really started when I was a teenager and suffering from a horrible eating disorder for a good 10 years and managed to drag myself through recovery with that and did such a good job of that at the time that I ended up becoming a chef. Mm. I was like, look at all this amazing food I've missed out on. I became a chef, um, ran hatted restaurants. Um, So I had this great food relationship but not eating um, in the healthiest way to support like the physically demanding job of being a chef. So that's, that's pretty common. And um, so that was in my 20s. And as I hit my 30s and started thinking about having children, I, I was like, okay, so I have this great relationship with food now. How can I use the food I eat to also support my pregnancy goals mm. without falling back into that eating disorder? Mm. I was really mindful that, that I'd worked really hard to get out of that mm. and so at the time, so this is, you know, 10 years ago, so much nutrition information out there and I was really wary of 
um, falling into some some really bad traps with that. And so at the time I decided the best thing to do was to actually become a nutritionist. So that's how I became a nutritionist and that's why I'm absolutely passionate and committed to not giving people eating disorders. I, I'm anti-diet, I'm pro-health. Mm. My aim as a nutritionist is to help people feel really confident and empowered and happy about what they eat. And I think, I think Chloe, the reason why we get on so well and the reason why we can talk about these things so easily and powerfully is because I think you feel the same way about movement. Mm, yeah. And I love, I love that you uh, said that and, and you sort of, you brought up that, that connection um, and sort of put that together in my head earlier. I was like, ah, that's so cool. That's making, that's making a lot of sense. Uh, so yeah, I I'm I've been teaching Pilates for for those that don't know, I've been teaching Pilates for um, a decade now, and um, that's been quite quite a journey and an evolution in uh, throughout those ten years of how I view movement and the body and really stepping into this realm of um, movement optimism and that the the body is um, ultimately anti-fragile and um, getting people moving fearlessly and empowered uh, in their body and their body's capabilities um, and for a good five years of those 10 years, I was a teacher trainer and training manager actually of um, breathe education, so Pilates education, and uh, really helping put together um, put together curriculums and so on and, and, and nurturing the, the newest Pilates instructors on the block. And I feel, and that just helped grow, grew, grow. <laughs> it grew my passion and it helped me grow my passion um, to really just want to get as many people moving and teaching fearlessly and also this real um, drive of mine to have Pilates instructors that, that are themselves empowered and informed because without them feeling informed and empowered, it's really, really hard to convey that to your clients if and, and so I, for me that's that's a really um a, a big a big driving force of why I'm doing what I do and I just really I mean I've been podcasting also for the last two years and it was time it felt really time to step into um a new realm and and not just a, a specifically Pilates podcast but a podcast that could really expand um, on particularly women's women's health, and particularly, I mean, this this came about because you and I had this wonderful live um, chat about perimenopause, which um, you know I'm now we're, we're both kind of in our mid forties and so on, and felt like this was a topic that isn't really being discussed and we've spoken about this before that it particularly seems something of maybe like our generation and above um, that a lot of these topics are seen as as taboo and whispered and you know it's the the whisper is anyone got a tampon 
um, and we don't really talk about how periods or changes in our periods are affecting us and all of these things. So we really want to help with, uh, help everyone find a voice there. Is that resonating with you, Kate? Yeah, that when we were when we were talking about the perimenopause, you know, there were so many other topics that came up um, that. As women, we sort of talk about them quietly. They're things that happen in private. They're things we're not sure if they're normal. Sometimes we feel ashamed or embarrassed about them. And it's only when we have those whispered conversations with other women that we realise that we're not alone mm. and that we are normal. Mm. And and in wanting to amplify those whispers, this is how this podcast came about of just talking really commonplace and really confidently about all those things that otherwise we would keep to ourselves. Mm. Um, and and I think the reason that we've chosen diet culture for our first topic is that it's just a huge shame maker mm. for women, mm. um, something that keeps us so trapped. And when you said movement optimism before, I love that phrase mm. because – I want eating optimism mm. for, for women and health optimism and diet culture is the absolute opposite of that. Mm. And a uh, big shout out to the amazing Greg Lehman uh, who coined, basically he coined the phrase movement, movement optimist. Um, and it was me learning that and really truly embracing it was a pivotal um, point in my in my journey as a Pilates instructor and an educator and um, how I helped facilitate movement and empowerment for my clients um, and also how I felt about my own body and my own body's capabilities and the reason why I moved my body and how I viewed things if something was feeling a bit sore or this or that instead of know freaking out you know knowing that I was capable maybe I just need to pull it back a little bit then amp it up again and I mean that's a whole episode in itself yeah. um and I also while we are here with our with our, our introductions uh we have mentioned women's health quite a few times throughout this introduction and I also want to say that this is also a welcoming space for um, non-binary folk, transgender, etc. So anyone that that will will benefit from these discussions and um, these topics, and you are also welcome here. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. So well, that's us. That's us, and I'm sure we will. You know, people will learn more about us uh, throughout <laughs> throughout the podcast, throughout the episodes as we continue to to grow this this new podcast. So let's dive into this, Kate, because I know this is a topic. I mean, I'm passionate about this topic too, but I know this is a topic that is a pretty like important to you, right? Oh, I get so ranty about this. I hate diet culture so much. We're here for this, Kate. We're here for oh. you. Are, you are the perfect SME, <laughs> subject matter expert. Bring it on, my friend. Take it away. Uh, yeah, look, you know. What, what is diet culture? What's diet culture? Should we start there? What yeah, is it? What is it? Let's start with diet culture. Let's then talk about why it's so harmful. And then at the end, we'll give you some tools to rise above the BS of it all. Mm -hmm. But yeah, what is diet culture? It's that 
belief, that idea that gets aggressively promoted by the diet industry that weight loss is easy, that it's highly desirable, that if you are thinner, you are better, and if you are in a larger body, you are less worthy. Um, it's the idea that that foods have a moral value, that they're either good or they're bad, and then you're either good or bad after eating them. Um, it's it, You can see it in phrases like clean eating mm. and, oh, I feel so guilty after eating that cake. Mm. And, and we see it manifest through our food choices, through exercising to compensate for our food choices. Um, we... We see it on magazine covers where one week you'll see a Kardashian praised for weight loss, but the next week, you know, has she gone too far? It's it's the art, you know, Adele is the perfect example of of a diet culture lens where, you know, suddenly she's more worthy because she's lost weight. Mm. Um, oh, and, and all those horrible um, posts that go up putting a, a photo of her before and after. It's yeah, like, it, come on, are we still doing that? Are we still doing that? Yeah, yeah. It's before and afters. It's what I eat in a day with the insinuation that if you eat like me, you can look like me. Mm. It's, um, you know, guilt-free marketing. I hate I hate the words guilt-free. Mm. Um, you, you know, unless you stole your food from an orphan, fleeing <laughs> <laughs> a burning orphanage, your food is guilt-free. Like... <laughs> Hey, I I just <laughs> I love that. Um, I just want to say I I remember you put up maybe it was an Insta story of yours a little while back where and I'm sure you get this a lot as a nutritionist. People want to know what you eat in the day. People are like, I want to know what the nutritionist eats for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and snacks, so I know whether I'm like. Can copy that. That's kind of like the holy grail of how we should eat because that's a nutritionist. And I love that you said, actually, no, I'm not going to, it's not helpful to you for me to put up what I eat in a day because what I eat in a day is going to be different to what you need to eat in a day to the person next to you needs to eat in a day and so on and so forth. Um, Whereas I think diet culture and how I've always sort of known dieting to be, it's like, okay, if you are this tall and you weigh this much and you want to lose this many kilos, the, here is the equation of the kilojoules you need to eat. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and that's for everyone, regardless of anything else you do. It's just a simple mathematical equation. And it's like, yeah. I don't know. I don't think human beings are that cookie cutter. No, it doesn't take into account your genetics, which hugely influences how you look. I mean, I'm pretty sure everyone can look at their body and then look at relatives and see where they inherited certain body parts or body shapes from. I know oh, I it's the same as postures or et cetera. Yeah. You know, it's like it, we've got this sort of really outdated notion in the, in the Pilates world that there is this ideal posture and that everyone should be working towards this one ideal posture. It's really, really, really fucking hard to change your posture. Like it's real. And you ain't, spoiler alert, you ain't going to change it with a couple of Pilates classes a week. I tell you that much, right? 
But it's probably if you look to one of your parents or your siblings or this and that, you're probably going to see similarities in how you hold yourself. Yeah. Right? It's like Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, doesn't that make sense that we would there would be <laughs> genetics would come in to to diet and Absolutely. Genetics, hormones, how much time you have to cook, whether you like cooking or not. Um, you know, the food, the reason I won't post, I'll post some meals, but I won't do a, what I eat in a day because my circumstances are probably so different to yours. Um, I like the meals you post, by the way, though. It's good inspiration. Oh, thank you. I like them too. They make <laughs> I'm like, oh, that sounds yummy. Okay. I could, might try and make that. Yeah. Again, I'm um, Kate, by the way, mm-hmm. I can't, I, I think I should, I think so that this doesn't become an elephant in the room. Yeah. I should get this out right now. Mm-hmm. Go for it. Safe space. I can't cook. It's okay. okay. You don't have to cook. <laughs> All right. You feel better now. Yeah, I do. I'm like, I better get that out to the cook, right. the chef in the room. <laughs> my my fellow podcast host. Uh I can't cook. So the easier and quicker the recipes you yeah. pop up, I'm like, oh, oh yeah, I could give that a crack, I think. Oh, look, everyone everyone thinks that, like, at home I'm whipping up these three-course meals because of my chef background. But, like, I'm a a single parent for most of the week. I have three children. You've got three under – how old are your three? They're 10, 8, and 5. Sometimes I don't want to cook. Yeah. (laughs) There there are some nights I'm going the easy, quick, nutritious route, Um, and there's some nights that I'm not. And so this is – this diet culture just doesn't address this with food or with movement and that we are actually all unique yeah. and that one day doesn't look like the next day. Oh. And, yeah. And oh, that gosh. That resonates with me. Hey, one day doesn't look like the next day. The next day. You know, you are not, your appetite will vary, your yeah. time will vary, um, what you feel like, you know, what how you you've slept, feel like, how you slept, massive things influencing your food preferences and your movement choices. Mm. And diet culture tells you that you're just, you can just do the same thing every day. And if everyone does the same, we'll all end up looking the same because diet culture tells us that's the most important thing. So I think this is a, a big takeaway. If you want your truth bomb, Here's one of them. Uh-huh. Eating for weight loss isn't the same as eating for health. And I can't tell how healthy you are by how much you weigh. And I bet it's the same with Pilates, Chloe. You can't tell how how strong or flexible someone's going to be just by looking at them. No, absolutely, absolutely not. Exactly. And that's such a myth that because someone might be in a larger body to someone else, that that therefore means they're um, not as fit as a person who might be presenting in a in a in a smaller body or not as strong or not as flexible. It's got sweet FA to oh, do with anything. I mean, like, and it's just it's really, um, yeah, it's totally shit. <laughs> like, it's just. Have you ever seen Lizzo in one of her concerts? 
Do you know how she is so fit? She did this awesome. Uh, yeah, she's. Oh my god! Shout out Lizzo! Shout out Lizzo! We love you. Um, she did this. I don't know. I had to sing that because that I should not be singing to Lizzo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she put up this awesome um, Insta video. It was a while ago now. Maybe even like as much as like a year or so ago. I found it so inspirational. She was running on her treadmill while singing one of her songs. Oh. And and you can and like singing her the singing was just incredible. And oh. I was just like, wow. And so like I went for a run. And anyone who actually knows me knows I'm a shocking singer. Like uh, my singing and my cooking would be pretty much on par. <laughs> You know, so, so I'm good at other things, which is great, right? We don't always have to be good at all the things. No. Um, and I thought, wow, I wonder, like, I bet it's really hard to run and sing at the same time. And it was during lockdown, one of the lockdowns, and I was in an oval by myself. And I'm like, I'm just going to give this a crack. <laughs> it's really, really hard. Like, you got to be really cardio fit. to run and sing and hold like not only just sing but like hold a tune oh but she does that she dances she sings and then she busts out the flute yeah 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 is like so inspirational and yet diet culture would tell us that she is not healthy and Mm. I hate that I hate that Mm. so um and it's just so yeah so that's Diet culture, you'll see it on foods, on magazines, and the way we talk. You'll see it like book publishers can be part of this as well. Um, Celebrities, I mean, gosh. Yeah. And I'm thinking like the sort of the, the celebs kind of from the 90s and so on. And, I mean, we've spoken about this before. It's like mm-hmm. very um, you and I and potentially a lot of our listeners would have grown up with the diet culture of, the 90s and Mm. early 2000s where everything was the big the big thing was fat free you could you could eat as much like as many lollies as you want or you know as much diet yogurt because (laughs) because it was fat free it didn't matter that it was like and I'm not vilifying sugar here either um but it just I'm just talking about the concept back then was like Go for the sugar, but really vilify fat. Um, And then, gosh, you saw, you know, I remember, I still distinctly remember the image of Oprah um, cutting up these tiny little slices of avocado and being very specific that, oh, you cannot eat more than this tiny little slice because it's just way too much fat. but then going to the supermarket and seeing, you know, the bag of marshmallows or whatever that on the front said, 99% fat-free, mm, eat them yeah. all kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I think all of this, you know, messes with our perception of what we – it just, well, it messes with our perception around around eating, doesn't it? I mean – Absolutely. And you, you've hit on two key things there. And the first one is that, you know – <laughs> We remember the the 90s of like the fat-free craze Mm. and now it's so different. And those diet trends are just, you know, okay, well, everyone's sick of buying into the fat-free diet. What can we sell them next? Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) Oh, 
You just being, hit on something then, Kate. Yeah, being perpetuated by a billion-dollar diet industry, um, we need repeat customers. So if you go, well, I did fat-free and it didn't work for me, mm. oh, but look, now we're doing high-protein or high-fat. Yeah, now we're doing paleo. Now we're doing paleo. So that, you know, constant remarketing, you know, and we did, we did high protein. Was it Atkins? Like this is getting into the eighties for me. I can't, I'm not really into that, but we've done, we've done high protein and it just circles around. It's just, what can we market now Mm. to, to get your money? Because literally they're not, you know, we talked about how your weight doesn't equal your health. Mm. The industry actually doesn't care about your health. They don't care about it. Um, and if they did, they wouldn't use such shame-promoting tactics um, because their their big marketing tool with diet culture is we're going to make you feel really bad about yourself and offer you the solution to that anxiety. Wow. And that's why we see diets marketed as a new you, new body, new you. You know, that idea that you are not worthy as you are, mm. that you need to be improved upon, like new and improved, mm. um, and that the way you do that is by losing weight. Mm. And this is so frustrating because when we look at it statistically, they're selling you a product that is not going to work for the majority of people and they sell it to you in a way that when it doesn't work, you blame yourself and feel even worse. Mm. Gosh, that was such, um, I, I was just sort of sitting here in silence because I was just really soaking that all in. It's really interesting as much as I've discussed diet culture over the years, as much as I've kind of been on one side and the other side of, you know, how it's affected me. Um, you just put that so clearly when you said Diet culture doesn't care about your health. No, like they don't. Th- that's huge. This is just a money making industry. And mm. that's so sad because the amount of people's lives that that affects in such a profound way in regards to things such as disordered eating body dysmorphia, um, worth, like how you see your Mm. worth in this world Mm. um, and how that can impact people's lives. I mean, that can kill people. Oh, absolutely. And just just shocking. And even... I'm so sad about that. Oh, it's it's awful. And and in the process of blaming yourself for the failure of one diet and then buying into another one, which makes you feel even worse, mm. is that your your health deteriorates. I see so many clients when I look at their blood tests and they're showing signs of malnourishment, mm. even though they're actually spending quite a lot of money on, on food mm. and eating regularly. But, you know, that, that thing that for a diet, theoretically, all you need is less food mm. okay for health i'm looking at are you getting 
enough? Are you getting enough protein? Are you getting enough fiber? Mm. Are you getting the vitamins and minerals you need? Is your food easy to prepare? Do you like your food? Do you have time to eat it? Do you like to cook? Do we need to look at things you don't have to cook? Yes, you know, please. yeah. <laughs> are, are, are you, you know, what are your hormones doing? Do you need more mood support? Do you mm. need more energy support? To, can we support your sleep? You know, your weight is just one piece mm. of a big health jigsaw puzzle. Mm. And yet diet culture tells us it's the only piece. Mm. So what you've described there is what I would um, describe as um, bi the biopsychosocial model, basically. And the biopsychosocial model is our most um, current understanding of, of pain and how people experience pain. So mm. it's basically coming away from the, the biomedical model um, mm. where it's kind of viewing... Um, a human being in, in just it's compartmental you know it's like okay well there's just this one factor that would be influencing your experience of something for instance yeah. let's say my lower back hurts therefore there must be something going on with the tissue in my lower back right mm. but what yeah. we but what we understand um, is actually pain is always always multifaceted and multifactorial because mm. human beings are always biopsychosocial, right? There's all of these things that are constantly and we can't separate one from the other. So we are we are complex and and how people um, you know need nutrients and so on and so forth is always going to be complex and everything's going to be affected by multiple things so does that did I kind of go on a bit of a no that's but I feel like that's it does that resonate with what you were describing uh, there as we know that things like sleep affect you profoundly as a human mm -hmm. being whether you're getting enough or whether you're not I mean there are so many studies on on the power of sleep and how important it is to so many aspects of our health um stress um do we have emotional support do we ex and so on and so forth so does that yeah no absolutely and and diet culture ignores all those facets yeah and, it, and it's just breaking yeah. it down into that this one thing it's like it's like let's shame people into if if you're struggling with a diet it's your fault because you're simply not reducing your calories enough right yeah yeah um and it's not taking into account anything else that goes into the complexity of being a human being mm. that it's absolutely it and i just think that diminishes us as human beings yeah. it does help us live you know, a, a more joyful life. It keeps us, you know, for women, I see so much of their day consumed by thinking about food. Mm. Because hey, I've uh, been there. I've been there. Yeah. I, I've been there. And anytime I've like thought that I want to lose weight and I've tried to lose weight and I thought, okay, this time I'll do it. I'll do it differently. Like this time I will. But ultimately anything that's asking for you to calorie count 
Mm. You are going to – like there's no other way than any I, – I mean for me, maybe for other people, you can do it without becoming uh, obsessed with thinking about food all day. But I would say for the vast majority of us, if we're being told that we need to count every morsel of every bit of energy that goes into our body, how can you not become like fixated on that? And I think I think here's another truth bomb mm. in that we think diets help us figure out how much to eat. Mm. But Diets and the diet industry and diet culture are actively disconnecting us from eating normally. And eating normally is responding to your hunger and fullness cues and choosing foods that you like that also support your health goals. That's as simple as that. Mm, But I I love that, Kate. mm. Well, you put that up. I mean, that's resonated with me because I think me personally, I have often been a bit disconnected from that. I, I am, again, I am a little like 90s old school. That was really, I mean, if you think about when were those times where you're quite easily influenced and habits are, yeah. you know, created around food, etc. Well, I was a teenager in the 90s. I was, you know, that's when you, for most of us, we start to become more aware of um, how much space where you know it's that this sense of how much space am I taking up in the world how are other people perceiving me how do I feel about my body what are the messages I feel about what is um, an attractive body or a not attractive like do you know what I mean like these these messages that you start and I think back to those those images in the 90s like with all it was very like diet culture toxic fitness culture um, you know, I'm thinking about the front of the Clio magazine and um, do, do you remember all of that? Yeah. And, yeah. and so all of this and everything was always like portion control. What is, what is the, the amount you should be eating of something? And yeah. if you eat more than that, then that is shameful to eat like that. And um, I particularly loved, again, you all need to be following Kate on Instagram, by the way. Follow us both would be awesome. Um, Kate's stories are always really helpful. And Kate, I loved um, yesterday, might have even been yesterday, that you were putting up in regards to portion control because you have people ask you, I'm sure, all the time, how much should they be eating? Yeah, it's the most common thing. And the reason that it, like the idea of like what, amount of food should I be eating the reason why that is so hard and I get that like it is if you've even been on one diet the idea of figuring out how much food you need can be really confronting because we're conditioned to think about it from well you know is it too much what's too much food yeah yeah eating too much is this portion too big as opposed to am I getting enough Mm. And I think that perspective, and we'll, we'll touch on this more um, later, but that perspective can help you shift away from diet culture as opposed to is this too much? Is this, you know, am I am I eating too much food? As Am I getting enough? And the one reason that's so hard is you, you spoke about, you know, that portion control in the 90s and to limit your food. And, mm. and, and we still get There was that. always restriction, restriction, restriction. Still is, except when you're eating a guilt-free food, Chloe. 
So we're told to restrict carbs and go low sugar and do keto and cut out the foods to She's go paleo. She's about to unleach, Crew. She's I know. about to unleach. Are we ready for the halo top? Ice we're ready. Cream? We're ready, Kate. We're ready. Get it out. Get it out there. Oh, okay. First of all, my deepest apologies to anyone who actually likes halo top ice cream and can eat it in a normal, calm fashion. And this okay. is not a paid advertisement. <laughs> Okay, so you want to know if you're sitting there and going, fuck, I feel confused. Why don't I know what I can eat? I'm just going to sit here and blame myself. I want you to stop blaming yourself because as you move through the supermarket, you will be shown um, foods that you think that you can only have in tiny quantities. Oh, there's those almonds. I'm only meant to count out 10 of those. There's the 80% dark chocolate. I should only be having two squares of that. But as you approach the freezer aisle and you see the Halo Top no sugar ice creams and the calorie count, which is actually bigger on the tub than the flavours, if mm. you buy that ice cream and you open up the lid of that little, I think it's a 500ml tub, it tells you to keep eating until you see the bottom. Mm. There's only, you know, I think it's like 300 calories or something. Pretty sure only- the front says 360. I can, because as yeah. you, because as you said that, yeah, um, I can, yeah. I can picture it in the aisle because you just see the calorie count. Like that yeah. is the biggest font that is on their packaging. Absolutely. So just in that split second, you are being conditioned to believe that the most important thing about what you eat is the calorie count. Mm. And I don't know about anyone else, but when I'm sitting at home or walking in the sunshine and I feel like ice cream, I do not go, wow, I really feel like the one that tastes like it has 360 calories. I'm thinking I want chocolate. Mm. And and that marketing, that is the epitome of aggressive diet culture marketing, which tells you that the most important thing when you're choosing a food is how many calories in it. So the idea that will this help me lose weight or will this make me put on weight? Mm. By extension, then that's, you know, the idea that that's the most important thing about you. Um, Mm. Mm. That portion distortion, you know, oh, restrict your food over here if we tell you it's a bad food, but this is guilt-free so you can eat half a litre in one go. Mm. Mm. So when you go to eat, gelato or ice cream somewhere else you're confused about what that portion is because you're not connecting with your hunger or your fullness you're thinking how much am I allowed to eat yeah and I just want to loop back there and to what you said there that the most important what they're selling as well is that the most important thing about you and your food choice is ultimately am I going to gain weight from eating this or am I going to lose weight? And yeah. and the moral value that is placed on that, right? The, mm. the, the guilt and shame if you're going to choose the thing that they perceive will make you put on weight and let's just say that, like, do you know what I mean? We, yeah. Right? Or are you going to um, be morally superior because Mm. you have chosen the thing that they're saying is going to help you lose weight again right lose lose weight and and what what's coming in there again too is that 
this judgment that someone in a bigger body or a smaller body that there is there is more value to being in a smaller body and um I just I'm fine I just it's abhorrent like Mm. it's it's to me whether someone is in a smaller body or a larger body um putting aside everything else it's the least interesting thing about that human being yeah right it is not the value that we bring to the world how our body presents Mm. right it's and 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 again I you know when I loop back before to talking about those that influence um, when I was a, a teenager and growing up and seeing all this shit constantly on the front of Cleo's and Cosmo's and Women's Day and any any magazine was always the front cover was about your body and eating. Yeah. It, it really was. Like it was really rammed home. Um, and it's just it just makes me so sad because Imagine the power they could have had if they focused on other things. Like, hey, today we're going to learn about this really cool thing about the world and science <laughs> and and politics and the environment and like all of this stuff that could have expanded not only our minds but ultimately society, right? And and everything. If we spent less time and less focus worrying about our freaking size yeah like I think about like I'm so deeply sad for the amount of time I wasted in my teens and in my 20s um around worrying about how other people perceived how I physically presented yeah from from like I, I it 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 actually saddens me like what what other potential like what else could I have done with my life and, and what moments could I have really enjoyed, right, if I wasn't so worried about, oh, does that person think like, you know, is, am I somehow not good enough? Am I somehow not attra- – and then what even is like this notion of what is attractive and what isn't attractive? Like who yeah. ever decided what that was? Yeah. Who, like like who, who was the boss of that? Oh, uh, we're going to say that this particular – Someone presents like this, therefore they're attractive. And then if someone presents like that, therefore they're not and they're less valid. I mean, like, come on. And I'm so, so, so freaking stoked that in my mid-40s, I can see that so fucking clearly now, right? So clearly. But it saddens me that I can still see so many people who can't see that and so many, many people who are still Mm. and within – are still so wrapped up in – worrying about about how they're perceived from a Mm. physical standpoint I just went on a bit of a rant but I needed to get that out no I think I think that's it's so valid and it's it's so relevant to to what we're talking about um and it's really hard to get out of Mm. um women I mean I because I see um women in my online practice and everyone beats themselves up about you know, why can't I just eat normally? Why is this so hard? And it's because once you're in that diet culture loop, it's mm. so hard. And mm. until you actually start noticing it around you and the, until you start seeing like the guilt-free marketing mm. and the, you know, beach body ready diet sort of mm. taglines, you don't notice it because it's everywhere. And, and now we're seeing it 
like wrapped up as wellness as mm. well. You know, clean eating and oh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna be mindful of my carbs for a while. Mm. And um, so we're seeing it sort of under the veil of oh, wellness. Mm. And and so it's sort of it's now being presented to us in a bit more of a palatable way. Um, uh, it's like wait, I'm with wait, you. I'm with you. I'm, yeah. Yeah, and it's like Noom saying, oh, we're not a diet, we're a lifestyle, when in fact they are absolutely a toxic, damaging diet. Right, um, right, right. That right. industry sort of sensing a shift and has started to repackage their products mm. in a way that sort of touches more on, Sweetie. you know, Sweetie. just a lifestyle change, but it's really a diet um, and you're still going to feel just as shit, mm. but we're just going to market it. Um, in wellness Mm, oh my gosh that is so sneaky I also just before we move on I want to put my hand up though and also go you know when I'm saying it's so great I can sit here now in my mid-40s and go I can see that I don't want to sit here and also go oh and that makes me morally superior because I went through a shit ton of therapy to get here right it wasn't easy it wasn't just like all of a sudden one day I woke up and went oh, I've seen the light. I can see all the bullshit that's going around, you know, rah, rah, rah. It was like, no, I really had to get help and dig deep, um, particularly in my 20s um, and in my later 20s. So um, the other thing I want to say for those that are listening, if you are, um, you are suffering from um, anything that's going on in regards to disordered eating and, and uh, body image, um, please, please get help. Like, please, um, there, there are wonderful organisations that can help you and we will link to some of those in the show notes. Um, and also, just can be really powerful to to take that step and just walk in. Like, if you're not sure, just walk into your doctor's office. Like, just book appointment with your doctor and say, I need some help. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I think just to um, like reassure people that it's not your fault. Mm. You've been made we... feel like it's your fault yeah. because of everything we've just heard about how <laughs> the marketing and so on, that's part yeah. of it. That's the insidious part of it. And and before we start like ticking off some practical things you can do to rise above all this diet culture bullshit, I just want to read um, a couple of sentences from the intro to the Whole30 Diet book. Mm. Now, so, I've never heard it. Like when, when was this diet? Like what sort of era are we talking about with this diet book? 2009, so sort of the rise of Whole Foods, the rise yeah. of like clean eating, which mm. is bullshit. Um, and it touted itself as a lifestyle change. Um, and the idea was that for the first 30 days, you cut out alcohol, sugar, grains, legumes, dairy, additives, possibly some other things. But, um, yeah, so it gained some popularity. But just to give you, <laughs> just to show you that, the diet industry is actively trying to make you feel shit about yourself mm. and and prime you to blame yourself for a product that doesn't work. Mm. This is in the intro. So they're, they're telling you, they've just told you all the foods you have to cut out. 
And now they're telling you the mindset you should have as you approach these first 30 days. And it starts off like this. It is not hard. Don't you dare tell us this is hard. Beating cancer is hard. Birthing a baby is hard. Losing a parent is hard. Drinking your coffee black is not hard. You've done harder things than this and you have no excuse not to complete the 30-day program as written. Don't even consider the possibility of a slip. Unless you physically trip and your face lands in a box of donuts, there oh, is no slip. Oh, oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I had to cover my mouth during you reading that not to scream. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Have we just been told off? Have we just been told off? Page 16 of the Whole30 Diet, a, a client gave this to me. I didn't buy it. A client gave it to me because she was like, I, I can't have this shit in my house anymore. You can use it for the greater good. <laughs> and, like, if you are sitting there thinking, blaming yourself and wondering why it feels so hard to get out of this, that is why, because you were spun those sort of massive shame-fest messages. Holy shit. From everywhere. But I just, I read that and I just, I don't know how this got into print psychologically. Was there not an editor that went, hey, this seems a bit. Far out. Okay. It's considered normal to shame the hell out of you so that you stay a repeat customer in diet culture, in the diet industry that you just, you know, (laughs) ka-ching. Ka-ching, exactly. Hey, like that was just freaking deplorable. Could you also, um, there is this study, when we're talking about, because a lot of, throughout this conversation, you've referenced a lot that diets don't work. Yeah. So there's been some long-term studies done on that, hasn't there? Yeah, it's 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 a bit harder to do. You've got to really dive deep for long-term studies because right. studies done on diets are usually done by the people who are running the diets. And oh, they look, bias. They look at the first eight weeks or 12 weeks. Right. They don't look at what happens um, one year or two years down the track. And we sort of know, like, pretty much everyone's done more than one diet because usually the diets don't work. Oh, so, okay. Sorry, I see what you yeah. mean. So this is not like yeah. a diet company doing it. You mean this is this is a, a, a research experiment being done? Yeah. So right. the, the best study I like in terms of actually looking at the success or failure rate of diets is mm-hmm. one done by Tracy Mann. So um, that's M-A-N-N. And if you Google her name and Medicare and study, mm-hmm. you'll find, her um, study that she led. We could pop it in the show notes as well. Yeah, we'll pop it in the show notes. And what's really interesting about this, so this was done in 2007. Um, So I normally like studies or um, reviews done in the last 10 years, but this is really broad. She Mm. looked at different, um, uh, lots of different information. And her study was actually done for the American government to assess whether American Medicare should fund calorie-restricting diets as a health treatment wow right so this was a really interesting perspective so she's looking not just okay does calorie restriction work in the long term like is it worth funding this Mm. but she was also looking at whether undertaking a diet has any negative effects Mm. 
So this is where when Weight Watchers put out their study on how much weight people lose in the first 12 weeks, they don't talk about any negative effects. They don't talk about food obsession. They don't talk about disconnecting from your hunger and fullness. So this is really interesting. So what Tracy Mann's study found is that up to two thirds of people will put on more weight than they lost. Um, and her estimate, now she was struggling with finding long-term studies, mm. following up people, you know, 12 months down the track. But what the information she did find um, indicated that probably 80% of people who lose weight um, will put that back on within 12 months. And then in the mean, and in the meantime, get more and more confused about food and, and probably have tried multiple diets in that 12 months mm. so you know I don't know anyone and actually this is this is a really a really good introduction to what you can do to get on top of this because I know I don't know anyone who does a diet and go oh wow that made me feel more confident about eating mm. was there also so that's really interesting so I'm gonna am I making an assumption that her conclusion was no Medicare should not back yes yeah. because it's not an effective long-term solution yeah. to people who may want to lose weight. Yeah, so her, her final sentence is, beneficial health outcomes have not been consistently or frequently demonstrated in the long term and very few studies were able to show clinic, clinically significant health benefits that persisted after weight regain. Mm, so, so interesting. Before we go on to um, practical tips, there was another study that you've mentioned to me before, the Biggest Loser study. Yeah, so I should say this is a very small study. So normally when we're looking at research, and I know you're like this too, Chloe, mm. you know, we like seeing hundreds of people in the research group knowing yeah. it applies to, um, you know, the demographic we're looking at as mm. well. Um, and the age groups and the environment. So I will say this is a small study. It was done on um, 14 Biggest Loser participants. And what year is it? 2016. Okay, so quite recent. And actually the objective of it was to measure changes in base metabolic rate and body composition after the competition. And it looked at them um, after six years. And... Um, for most of those 14, they regained most of their weight, if not more. But what was really interesting was that their meta their metabolism actually went down, it decreased. How much food they needed to consume each day to maintain their base energy needs mm. went down between 200 and nearly 500 calories a day. So in talking about the... You know, we talked a lot about the psychological effects and the mental effects of dieting um, and the fact that it ignores health. But here's a really clear um, effect that the more you diet, the less food you need to maintain your basic needs. Mm. And often what happens is that when we experience that for ourselves, we again blame ourselves. But mm. what's actually happening is that each diet you do is even harder mm. because your metabolism is slowing and you just blame yourself. Gosh. Oh my goodness. This shame cycle. Yeah. So yeah, the shame, the shame cycle is real 
and diet culture loves you being in that because when you are, you're more likely to buy a solution to that anxiety with another diet. I feel like that just summed up diet culture. That just summed it right up. And I mean, diet culture slash toxic fitness culture, they're doing the same thing, aren't they? They're doing Absolutely. the same thing because it's, 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 again, it's like selling the latest program or the latest exercise, uh, the, you know, the, the summer bodies are made in winter, absolute okay. bullshit. Um, your body is perfectly valid, however yeah. it is, at all times of the year. Just wanting to put that out there very, very clearly. Uh, oh, yeah. You absolute wonderful, amazing human beings um but it's 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 toxic it's toxic because it is insidious and it does just it feeds off shame and i haven't mentioned this yet this episode but i've been watching or what been watching aka binged it all already this brilliant (laughs) show on netflix called um human resources which is this wonderful animated very adult show, FYI, if anyone's thinking, eh, pop that on while the kids are around, hard no. Please don't put that around <laughs> with the kids. Like you'll literally see the warning comes up. Uh, sex scenes, graphic sex scenes, la, 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 la. I'm like, right, okay, cool, cartoon. Um, but what's so fantastic about this show, and it's got brilliant actors like Hugh Jackman um, doing the voiceovers, but what's so brilliant about this show is it's about kind of all these little um, sort of things, these little like there's the hormone monster and the shame demon and the love bug and the worry bug. There's all these things that kind of make up what we, you know, what's going on with us as a human being all the time, right? And um, what I found was particularly interesting was this this sense of shame that we carry around as human beings in relation to so many things and there's this scene in human resources where um this particular character he um has said that he wants to lose weight to fit into this suit for his wedding right and um that instead of like that spirals him as i'm sure it's done with you know, many of us before I know it's done with, you know, I've had experiences like this. It actually spirals his him into instead uh, binge eating and binge eating in like hiding, you know, it's like hiding in the corner and hiding in the cupboard and binge eating all the things at once really quickly so that nobody sees you. And, and you've got this like shame demon that's like egging you along. Yeah, you're worth like, do it, do it. Oh, you like dirty little blah, blah, blah. Hide those wrappers in your pockets so <laughs> no one sees your shame. It's a really powerful episode. Oh, I'm going to have to watch it. It's a real, you, you like, it's a really powerful episode. And it's, it's like, it just shows that what we're doing, you know, in regards to um, how people are feeling about their health uh, and their well-being etc that shaming people into anything is never going to be an effective solution and we see that in regards to the the fitness industry as well um Mm. shaming me into exercise is not actually going to make me want to exercise right um what makes me want to exercise is when i sit down with myself and i go okay well how do i want to feel 
How do I want to feel? Like, how do I want to feel today? Do, you know, so for me, when I ask myself that question and maybe I answer it with, well, today I want to feel invigorated or I want to, you know, do Mm -hmm. something that's going to wake me up. I want to feel capable. I want to explore maybe some cool movements that my body, you know, could do. I want to, you know, all I want to play. I want to have fun. Um, You know, this morning I woke up and I I do, I try and ask my that, I think this has been a big shift uh for me and it might be a helpful thing for others to think about and I'm sure this goes in alignment with food as well and how you want to feel but instead of when I go to exercise or anything like that instead of going instead of asking myself and this would have been something I would have done in the past instead of asking myself how do I want to look Mm. how do I want to look I ask myself how do I want to feel right because how I look is not a feeling Right? Does oh. that make sense? Like, yeah. like you Bravo. know, it's like when someone. It's like if I said to you, "I feel fat today." Yeah, that's a that's a that's a feeling. It's not I. It, it's a two. Mm-hmm. It's a different thing, right? So, yeah. how do I want to feel today? And I said today, well, I want to feel energized. I want to feel energized for sitting down and recording this podcast. I want to get that endorphin rush happening because I know that makes me feel great. How do I want to do that? Okay, I want to go for a run in the park. And that might look like running. It might look like walking. It might look like doing some skipping. It might look like, you know, singing along. to You know, it might look like something playful, like running down a hill, running back up a hill. Um, But the ultimate goal is not how many calories is this going to burn? What does that then mean I could eat that day? Or what do you know what I mean? Like, does this mean I'm going to look physically different? It's like, no, how am I going to feel? And that has been a monumental shift for me. Um, Mm. And it's an empowering shift. And guess what? It leaves me feeling fucking awesome as opposed to feeling shit about like what if I what if my at uh, the question was I want to look like this so therefore I have to do this exercise and then yeah. I do that exercise and guess what I still don't look like what like that perception of what I think I should do, you know, right so yeah. how does that motivate me to keep doing that it doesn't yeah. it's when you go well well fuck it then it didn't it didn't do what I thought it was going to do by the way remember when we said there'd be some swear words here we go <laughs> Um, (laughs) but it doesn't, yeah. So how do I want to feel? Mm. And, and that's, that's absolutely it. Instead of will this exercise or will this movement help me look a certain way or will this food make me look a certain way? Mm -hmm. How do I want my food to make me feel Mm -hmm. after eating? Because that's a really good way of figuring out whether you're eating because of a diet culture influence or whether you're trying to eat more for your own personal health. Diet culture eating generally makes us feel um, anxious and tense, (laughs) scared, you know, or ashamed if we haven't done it right. When you're eating for health, it should feel calmer, supportive, You know, but but neutral, that sense of, oh, I really enjoyed that. I know I'm going to feel more energised this afternoon. Oh, that's exactly what I needed instead of, oh, that's what I should have had. Mm. So that's a really good, if you're wanting to rise above the bullshit of diet culture, 
how do you want your movement and your eating to make you feel and start aligning yourself with that. Does this make me feel calmer, more confident, more energised, more focused or do I just feel hungry and stressed? Mm. Am I thinking less about food and more about the things that really matter or am I just obsessing about when I can eat next and what that should be? And Kate, I have found your your posts about this and about intuitive eating, which is going to be our second episode um, mm. of the podcast. So we, we will be bringing you that, which is um, exciting. But you've helped me as well in regards to, so when I say, how do I want this to make me feel or et cetera, you know, and then what if like then I – go well I don't really it's like it's like do you know what I mean then I'm like oh but I want to eat that as well because that's yummy as well and this and that so instead of and then if I at the end of that actually just feel like really overfull, you know we know that feeling you know when you're just like yeah oh my gosh but instead of that being shameful so mm. the shift for me is instead of that being like oh god now I've I like I've overeaten I actually feel so full it feels you just mm. go well, it's it's a, just a feeling, like it is what it is. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, th- like there's yeah. no moral holding on that because I no. decided to go. Okay, well, this is fun. We've got these things here. I'm in this. I'm going to eat all the things that I because I can and I want to right right here and now. And then if I end up feeling overfull or whatever you want to call it, you know, you get that like kind of uncomfortable, like oh. <laughs> but I go okay. Well, I enjoyed that. That was fun. And, and not go, not beat myself up. So I think it's important too, like a part of it is being able to, yes, yeah, like not spiral into then the whole, the shame in that yeah. as well. It's, it's that shift away from judgment yes. and towards curiosity and observation. Mm. It's like, oh, I felt really full when I ate that much. Yeah. What would I do next time? Yeah. You know, um, could I, could I, next time would I, eat less of that and take some away or keep yeah. some that, would that make me feel physically and mentally better mm. um and and I think that's that big shift again you know rising above that bullshit think about what health means to you if you take weight off the table mm. how do you define health and what type of activities or eating or lifestyle habits are going to support your health goals. Mm. And and this is incredibly confronting for some of my new clients because they've never actually thought about health as being separate from their weight. Mm. So right after the after you finish listening to this, get down and write down how you want your food and your movement to make you feel and how do you define health without weight? Like, is it energy? Is it getting up in the morning refreshed? Is it running around with your kids on the weekend? Is it mm. is it feeling mentally strong? Is it feeling emotionally calm? Is it lifting more at the gym? Is it being able to run faster? Mm. You know, think about what health looks like for you because as we spoke about, your health is unique to you and what you need to support that is also unique, whether it's food or exercise. Mm. So that's, I think that's things that can be, really helpful for you and if you start seeing now that we've spoken about what diet culture looks like if you start seeing that 
in the supermarket, on the magazine covers, on your social media feed, I highly recommend during doing a little curation mm-hmm. of Facebook or Instagram feeds mm-hmm. to maybe shift it away from a thin spo, fit spo, you know, heavy content mm-hmm. to something more um, more holistic, more health focused. Mm. Um, and Jamila Jamil is, I hope I'm pronouncing her name right. I get it wrong each time. She has a great um, Instagram account on calling out diet culture bullshit mm. and quite prominently because she's she's part of, of Hollywood. Um, and and there's other accounts that you'll find. Megan Jane Crabb has, an, has another great um, anti-diet culture account, which is really about celebrating your own individual health. And I'm sure you'll find others but yeah, start just replacing that diet culture messaging mm. with more health supportive messaging. Mm. Like Absolutely, Chloe. I did. I did a. I did quite a big cull the other day. I, it was weird. I'd noticed that there was for some reason I was getting all these. Um, just there was a whole heap of people in my feed that were posting about calories and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And I was just like, yeah, nah, 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 nah. Sorry, unfollow. I just, you know, there's so many other ways to, um, as we've just realised and spoken about all episode, um, to support our our health, both physical and mental. Mm. And um, just like when we look at, you know, the, the biomedical um, model of things like back pain and back pain is still, you know, one of the leading, leading causes of disability worldwide the leading causes of days off work worldwide etc it's like well shaming people into that and and this and that and saying that their body is this way and you've got to work it this way in order to not be in pain well it hasn't that hasn't worked right no. so and it's like well let's look at the diet culture and has has diet culture helped people in any way well it doesn't seem to from those no. studies you said it looks like it can you know turn it back the other way so yeah overwhelmingly harmful and I just I see it I see the damage of it with women who deserve so much better and 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 you know I lost a decade of my life to um to disordered eating and I I just refuse to encourage that in anyone else if I can save someone else the anguish that I went through and and give people back that mental headspace Mm. Um, then I will do everything I can to do that. So if you've listened to today's podcast and you've gone, oh, right, dieting sucks, diet culture, you know, I'm, I'm getting rid of you, but you're not sure what to replace it with, then, yes, the next episode on intuitive eating is going to guide you into those, you know, well, if not dieting, then what, um, next steps. Mm. So that's going to be really supportive. Well, what a great what a great first episode chat. Hey Kate, I've really um really enjoyed that. That felt like a, a powerful episode for me as well. Like it was so great to hear you talk about um coming from your your viewpoint and as a as a nutritionist was I found really really helpful and really powerful and you're doing such great things out there for um yeah 
the squashing, squashing diet culture. So thank you for everything that you're doing. Oh, I can't help it. Just I have to. Um, and thank you, Chloe, for sharing that you don't like cooking. I, just, <laughs> I feel that we created, <laughs> we have created a really safe space where those sort of truth bombs <laughs> can be normalised. And oh. I feel we need to do a podcast on how to how to eat well, how to eat for how to eat healthier without cooking. Oh my. So here for that. I would find that so helpful. Um, so thank you, Kate. And thank you everyone for listening. Um, and please, if you found this episode helpful, um, leave us a review that will help to get some traction uh, on the podcast. Subscribe to the podcast so you get notified when new episodes are coming. And please share this with other people in your life that could um, be, that will find it helpful. That would be awesome. We appreciate you all. Thanks, Kate. Thanks, Chloe. I'm off to watch Human Resources. Woo!